of God. This morning, we're continuing telling the story of God. And I won't tell you that this hasn't been a challenge. For me, it's been a challenge. I, Mary, I was blessed to hear a couple of weeks ago that you found it a challenge, because I did too. But the, the ones that have gone before me have done a very good job of, of just telling the story of God. And then uh, in Kansas City, we had a, a Midwest leaders meeting uh, for C2C, and Dave Richards and I were talking, and, and he said that he had decided that on the trips he's making now that he's going to do more with just the story. Than he, the story not only of God, but of his people, than with the in-depth teaching and so forth. So I've spent the past week or ten days listening to Dave do that very thing. Uh, as we've gone from place to place, we we were over in Monroe City, we were here at Life Church, and then there's various meetings that I've been with, been with them in Columbia and so forth. And everybody that's working those really got into the idea of just telling the story, which is really testimony. And so where we are in this, in this series we're doing is I'm doing this morning the story of God with us, and I can tell you that is too big to do in the time that we have, but we're going to take a shot at it. How's that? I... I was thinking of how awkward the very idea is to the modern church. Damon and Jackie, we've really done this with on the reservations for a long, long time, where we're in people's houses. We're talking about our own story and, and what God has done, and we're not doing it in we not doing it in depth except that emphasizing that people's life can change. And I was thinking as I was preparing this how I wish Russ was here to take 15 minutes to tell his story. One of the most powerful, impacting stories I've ever heard, especially him having a, a doctorate in, in uh, oral tradition of the native people, that to hear him tell his story is just incredible because he, he came from nothing to something and then from something to something grand, all because, now he, he won't tell you that it's all because of Jesus. He'll tell you that two people lived life with him and affected his life until he met Jesus. And when I was talking to him the last time, I, I told him, wait a minute, I want to go back. And I want, I, I want you to tell me if this is what you're saying. And he said, yes, that's not just the way to win the reservations. That's the way to win the world, is living life together. And as I was thinking about how awkward that is for us sometimes, because we somehow, and nobody has had a bad intent in this, but somehow we've gotten the idea that doing a meeting together will change the world. It won't. It really won't. This meeting is a wonderful thing. We, we celebrate things like what's happening with the youth, and, and we celebrate what's happening in Damon and Jackie's life and so forth. But this meeting won't win Kirksville. I don't know if you've noticed or not, but Kirksville's not beating a path to the doorway here. Uh, but we're making pathways as we go out, and if we take advantage of that, we can change the world. I was watching two little boys in the meetings in Columbia. One of them was DeMarcus and Gabri's little boy, uh, Campbell. He's just over two or just almost two. And then uh, CJ and Omanse's little boy, Leo, who is just more than one. Now, it was obvious to watch Campbell that he wanted a relationship with Leo. He liked him. And he would get down in front of him and try to make all kinds of, of contortions, and Leo didn't notice. So finally, Campbell walked over, and he put his hand on, Cam on Leo's head, and when Leo looked up, he bent over, and he put his forehead against his forehead and just stared at him, and Leo smiled, and then it was on. Dave started developing a friendship right there. You know, sometimes we're about that awkward. We know we want relationship with somebody. We know we should have relationship with somebody. We know the people around us, we don't know, but we think they might be open to relationship, but we just don't know how to start. Can I challenge you to just start? 
Just go over and strike up a conversation and see what happens. Don't do it with any goal in mind, except to strike up a conversation and get to know this person. Let that conversation, as long as it doesn't go into things that violate your conscience, let that conversation go where it'll go and see what God will do. Because whether we're, we know it or not, we as born-again Christians are aware on God's level and on this level. And if we'll start living like that, He'll start to tell us what to say. And He'll start to, he'll start to instigate conversations and He'll start to ha- let us have insight into somebody's life which we can then turn into a God encounter. But that can't be the... That, that can't be the, your only goal is to have a God encounter because if, if that happens, then you'll, you'll have success and the next thing you know, you'll find your mind making a method out of that success and you'll start to approach every person like that thinking that's what's successful. No, what's successful is that you made the encounter, that you, you made the connection. You just, you just started down that trail. And this is alien because we've had... So many people that want to talk about their success in getting people to, to I, hear, I hear it this way often and it makes my teeth grind when I do, but to say the sinner's prayer. Can I tell you, if you're still saying prayers, you're not yet praying because prayer is communication and interaction with God. It's conversation where He talks and you talk. So, just throw that in, making friends right from the beginning. <laughs> it is the truth, folks. Now, God is doing something not different, but He's adjusting us as the American church and the world church. And what I'm amazed, as I, as I look at these stories and read what's happening and talk to people where it's happening, Caleb, is the miracles that's happening in these groups. It's not anything that anybody can, can talk about. There's no verification, but people are getting healed. And, and some of them are not even saved yet, and they're getting healed. They're getting delivered, and they're looking around and recognizing there might be a Lord in all of this, and maybe I need to know Him. And it, there's more, probably more miracles happening worldwide right now with less fanfare than ever before in the history of the church. Except maybe the early church. because Have you noticed that there wasn't a lot of fanfare about miracles in Paul's letters? Why? It is a common everyday thing. They just, that's just what happens when you, when you live for God. It, it's the outflow of the life of Christ in us. That people get saved. People get healed. People get delivered. And since, you're, since Paul wasn't building a, a TV ministry or a worldwide mission, it's just everyday life and he didn't have to get up on the stump and herald it because it'll happen at the next place and the next place and the next place and the next place and the next place as we just let the life of God flow forth from us so everything I've been saying this morning is about God with us well I don't think we've ever gotten that really and hopefully at the end of at the end of this we will have gotten a little bit of it Luke chapter 2 verses 4 through 15 I'm going to do all of the reading this morning just because I frankly I didn't prepare to get somebody else to read it so I'll do it <laughs> And Joseph also went up from Galilee from the city of Nazareth to Judea to the city of David which is called Bethlehem because he was of the house and the family of David in order to register along with Mary who was engaged to him and was with child. And it came about while they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in clothes and cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now in the same region there were some shepherds staying out in the field and keeping watch over their flock by night. An angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were terribly frightened. And the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which shall be for all the people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he's pleased. And it came about when the angels had gone away 
from them and from them into heaven that the shepherds began saying to one another let's go straight to bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened which the lord has made known to us now the team that has been around the building of this story would recommend that i do not go into the full development of that passage of scripture at this moment so i won't but boy it's tempting <laughs> so Let's just go on from there. And the reason I say those kind of things is other people's going to come up here after me, and they they too are going to be going through the struggle of story. And uh, I, I want to let them know that I'm going through it too. Now, just with it in the back of your mind, the story that has developed up to this point. Just saying this about what I just read: <coughs> that this is the middle of the story. This is not the beginning of the story nor the end of the story. This is the middle. And unless we have some familiarity, familiarity with the way that God works and the way, the way that God deals with men up to this point, we won't fully understand this here in the middle. These weren't just shepherds who happened to be out in the field of the people of no, uh, of no spiritual background or that kind of thing that wasn't what they were if you'll remember one of the first uh, things that we talked about in story was the Shema lifestyle and I won't go deeply into that you can find it in the archives but but the Shema lifestyle was was developed way back in Deuteronomy directly from God where these people went so far with it these people who recognized that they had been brought out of Egypt they went so far with it that they had put scripture rolls in a, in a little thing and hang it down on their foreheads and and they would tie it on their on their wrists so it would hang down in their hands but the Shema lifestyle was that we that you would automatically maybe not automatically but that you would purposefully develop your thought processes to remember who God was and what God said and that you would talk about it around your uh, around your dinner tables and and you would talk about it to your children you would talk about it on the job the work of your hands would be marked by the rules, and I hate to say that, but it is true, the rules of God's way, that the way you worked would be marked by that, and that the parents would take very seriously the idea of putting their will, or excuse me, God's will and God's way into their children because they understood that they were God's people. But that God had a will and a way, and if they walked in that way, they would see the power and the glory of God in provision and, and so on and so forth. So the oral tradition at that time became, became very, very prominent. Yes, they did have some writings, but the oral tradition is what was developed more than anything, that process of story. And it was very conscious, and they worked hard to keep it very accurate as to what God had said, what God had done, and on and on it goes. Now, it was this story that was so consciously and accurately repeated that if you were to put it down into a composite, this Elohim, this, this all-powerful God, had, had placed something in the forefathers of their children and their own forefathers that that was very important and and they would see it in people like like Jacob when when God says I will call you Israel and they saw it in people like Abram that was first Abram but then God said now that I'm dealing directly with you I'll call you Abraham what was the deal that in the midst of them in the midst of their name was this Ah, this breathing forth of God, this Israel, this Abraham. And they knew that in the name and in the character of God was this idea that God was so directly connected with his people that he was breathing forth into them. And they could take it all the way back to the garden and remember that that's how it all started, that God gathered the dust of the earth and he breathed into it. And not only did he breathe into it, but that dirt reacted to that breath and it became a living soul. These are the things that, that they constantly were, were talking to their children about because they wanted to know that the story of Israel was not just a story of people being unable to do what God had required, but it was a, it was a story of an all-powerful God that would make adjustments and that would meet them in places they didn't expect Him to meet them, and that they would become more and more as they went along the children of God. They would stray away. And you would, 
You can read in the Scriptures how difficult that was for Israel as they strayed away. That they began to beat on themselves mentally and verbally. But that God, once they would turn, God would always be right there. It didn't wasn't that He had to come back to them. It was that He was there. The moment they turned, He was there. Why is that? Because when God created, He never left the earth. He never, His presence never left. His, His breathing forth never went away. In spite of some modern teaching that tries to make it look like that, you follow the whole story and you'll find an ever-present God who's always willing to meet His people right where they turn to Him. Wow. The New Testament in action before it ever took place. You'll see that in David's writings too. But he was always making a way, always forgiving their sin. And they they needed only to turn from their idols and their other gods and ask. And if they cried out, and that, that word cry out didn't mean that they dropped and wept. It means that, that with passion they would reach toward their God and find Him there embracing them as a people and even individually. Now because... They recognized their history. They knew they were a people of transition. They changed from one period to another period. They, they always expected change. Israel never expected to stay still. And you'll find that deep in the teaching of the Israeli people now that it's a, it's a, it's a progressive nation. It, it's moving forward. They expect there's ups and downs. But deep inside, at least of the leadership, is people that believe God. I, I have a story about that that is amazing to me. And the process of the whole story would take a long time to tell. But let me just wrap up the end of the story where a friend of mine, after he was unable to travel anymore, and he'd be, been a man that had traveled to Israel over and over again, but somehow in a book, that was left behind in Israel, they found a phone number. And that, over that phone number, it says, For Ben to pray, call. Ben Tipton, you guys recognize the name. So somebody in Israel called that number. It was my friend's number, south of Oklahoma City. Had taught prayer all over the nation. He was 80-something years old now. He couldn't travel anymore. But this was a leader from the uh, from the group of Israel that oversees all of the government saying, we are in trouble as a nation. Could you come and pray for us? And he said, no, I can't, but I know someone who can. And his daughter, who had picked up the, the, the prayer ministry around the world, was able to go to Israel and enter into the, into the depth of the, the chambers of Israel without any publicity, but now is there once a month over and over again, praying with the leaders of Israel that God will take a hand and turn it. So, uh, Get what this says, that deep in the hearts of the leaders of God's people is this idea that we need God. Man, I don't know about you, but that's powerful to me. <coughs> As you're seeing why I'm not in this pulpit very often anymore, my, my voice tends to leave. Thank you. Now, the leaders of Israel... The godly leaders have always been able to recognize that God was forever and always directing them toward a place where they would finally recognize their need for Him. And folks, this hasn't changed that much as, as we move into New Testament doctrine. That if you'll follow the Old Testament and you'll look at it correctly, you won't see a picture of a lost people. You'll see a picture of a people being sought by their God and being, and God adjusting because He was with them. He's watching them. And they became a people who were being prepared for the fullness of time. Way back at Adam and Eve, they knew that Adam and Eve had literally walked with God. And then on up into the prophets, we find that God had, had promised them that, that there will come a time when, when it's like that, when it's God with us. And, and that Shema lifestyle, it gave them boundaries and limits because in, that, in the boundaries, and you hear me, in the boundaries of our day and in their day, in those boundaries, we prepare the way of the Lord. We don't live like other people live. Why? Because He's our Lord. He's our God. We don't do the things other people do, not out of pride, not out of, not out of judgment, but He's our Lord, He's our God, and we prepare the way for Him to come to us, 
live in us, work through us, and we don't make it about a feeling. We make it about His promise and His word and His direction. Now, it makes everything different, God with us. From the testimony of the past, you know, and I believe it's Isaiah that, that talks about, uh, she shall call his name Emmanuel. Now, I want to, I want you to catch the, catch the words because in, in the Hebrew language, it's very important to catch the way they use words because they were a people of the, of the oral tradition. It's very important to use these words, and that's one of the things that they, they taught in their schools was what's the word that she shall call him Emmanuel. It wasn't, God had already, he's with them. But he was recognizing a time when a virgin would conceive. Unheard of, unheard of since. No, almost nobody believes it except people that knows it must be true because God said it. But that virgin would make the declaration. That, that, that virgin would tell people, I didn't have relations with a man. I had a visitation from God and now I'm pregnant. Knowing that the culture around her would say, you're lying. You should be stoned. But she's saying, no, no, no. It was God. An angel of the Lord visited me and told me that the Holy Spirit would come upon me. She was calling him Emmanuel. That deeper than her being was a visitation of God. And then... It shifts a little bit as it gets over into the Old Testament. It says, they shall call his name Emmanuel. Who's they? It's those people that would believe this woman. It's these people that would say, yeah, this is really from God. It's us that would say, he's God with us. The amazing idea that Jesus had to embrace to be Jesus is just incredible. Because he was man. Yet he had to somewhere along that pathway come to believe what his mom had said, that he was the product of a visitation from God. And I'm telling you, we're not God, but somewhere along the way, you've got to come to terms that if you're beginning to walk in that Shemal lifestyle, that you are a product of a visitation from God to this earth. And that you've got to, you've got to mark that on your forehead. You've got to tell that to your children. You've got to live that lifestyle that no matter what it looks like, my life today is a product of having been visited by God. Man, I don't know if you feel that, but I feel it. It's not easy to make those things, but it, life becomes easier when you do make those declarations. Um, imagine those family gatherings. As they began to talk about the visitation of God that produced Adam and Eve, and then the visitation of God that brought them out of Egypt, and the visitation of God that called Abraham to leave everything he knows and leave, and then Noah, and on and on the process goes. Can you imagine those table conversations? Because they would go on and say, He's going to dwell among us full of grace and truth again, just like He did with Adam. It, it's, he's going to be born of a woman, not just, not just any woman. And you find this in the prophets. I'm putting it in my words, but you find it in the prophets. Prophet, there's a woman going to become pregnant without knowing a man. And, and this, this call is going to become an insistent statement out of this woman. I would suggest to you that first visitation by the angel was to see how Mary would respond to the idea. And how did she respond? God, let it be to me according to your word. And after that, there was a visitation and the Holy Spirit came upon her and she was found to be with child. God with us. I'll tell you what, if you begin to accept what the Holy Spirit is saying to you and begin to allow Him to move in you, you're going to find something happening on the inside of you and you'll know that there's something in you that can only come from God. It doesn't come from quoting Scripture, although Scripture is anointed by God and very powerful. Don't ever think that's not what I'm saying. But that's not what this comes from. This comes from personal knowledge of God. And other conversation, this child won't be born into fame and prominence, although he's God. I want you to get that. Don't begin to look at and say, I've got this ability to, to talk with people, so there'll come a time when I'll have a worldwide ministry. No, 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 no. It's nothing when it starts. 
And it might seem to be nothing when it ends, but it's a mighty work of God. Damon and Jackie, what God's called you to do probably will never get worldwide rec- recognition or renown. But I'm t- telling you, it'll change people's life every day you're there. You're already doing that. You're already seeing that. You're already taking a reservation. The world just don't know it yet. And it'll be more than one reservation just simply because of the autonomy of the native people. And I'm... and. I'm t- I, I can't keep thinking this. I know that it's every nation, every tribe, and every tongue, but I keep thinking it's going to be a native people movement. That they're going to be one of the nations, tribes, and tongues gathered around the throne worshiping God. And it's going to be because their life is changed, not because somebody came and, and done a one, one time evangelism event, not because of a huge crusade, but because they began to discover that God's always been with them. God's always drawing them. God's always helping them. And they become excited about it. And it moves person to person. And I can even see them becoming some of the, some of the next Pastors that pastor outside the res. I can see that happening. Paul Washington began to say this the other day. I could tell that he was hitting a prophetic note. He began to say some of these people that were winning out of methamphetamine, some of these people that are alcoholics, some of these people that are coming out of jail, some of these people that are coming out of nowhere, they're going to be the pastors of a culture that desperately need pastors that understand. And I'm thinking, yeah, Lord, I'm hearing you. This is, this is the way it's going to look as we come forward, and we better get ready for it. There are many people taking care of people that do not have a seminary degree. And I'm not against those things. I, I can tell you it takes you about six years to get them and about 12 years to get over them. That's all I can say about it. <laughs> I hope... I guess this is a, this is a preaching story or something. I'm, you can tell I'm not staying right into storytelling this morning. But this child was not born into fame and prominence. He would be a suffering servant, is what the prophet said. You hear me? <laughs> Many of us can identify with that, and I'm not even going there. He. He'll be the Son of God, but He'll be serving men. He'll be touched by the power of the Holy Spirit to the point where He'll be the Christ. He won't just be called the Christ. He'll be the Christ. And then I can just hear around that table as the older, more mature ones begin to speak up. The younger ones are talking about this amazing concept. and The older ones are saying, He's always been like that. Every time we would turn to Him, He would deliver us out of where we were. He's always been like that. He would let us go into bondage because we chose it. But the moment we called out to Him, things would start to change. And the next thing you know, we would be out and moving. I can, Folks, that needs to be the testimony of the older people of the church. You hear me? We don't need to get into this thing, oh, this is a lost generation. No, He's always been a God that will turn to people when they call out to Him. He always will be that God. The moment this generation begins to call out to Him, they won't look like we looked when we came, but they'll come. They might have piercings that that we turn our nose up at. They might have tattoos that we don't want to talk about. But if they turn their heart to God, He'll meet them there. He'll bring them out and He'll use them. They'll never talk like us. They'll never look like us. And I'm so glad. (laughs) Maybe look like you, but not like me. Matthew 3. 13-17. Then Jesus arrived from Galilee at the Jordan and coming to John to be baptized by him. Let's a word sink in. I... Folks, we've gotten away from the power of the, just the raw Word of God. We need to be there. We need to live there. Realize, and we need to trust that. I don't have to, I don't have to uh, expound these Scriptures for you to get it. I have to give the Holy Spirit pause and give Him time for Him to. They came, Jesus came to be baptized by John. But John tried to prevent Him saying, I have need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? But Jesus answered, saying, Permit it at this time. For in this way it's fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And then he permitted him. After being baptized, Jesus went up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens opened. 
And he saw the Spirit ascending as a dove coming upon him, and behold, a voice out of heaven saying, This is my beloved Son. I am well pleased with him. Now, having put, been put in these kind of situations, not certainly with Jesus directly, but places where God has exalted me above what I felt like I should be, I can imagine John's difficulty. I can see him as the forerunner to our own difficulty. It wasn't the difficulty of recognizing Jesus. The minute he came over the hill, it's him. You know, the minute that presence starts to manifest here, I know it, it's him. The difficulties in baptizing him, immersing him into our situation. John said, oh no, uh-uh, that, that's not for me to do. But Jesus said, let it to be, so, be so right now. There's things God's going to ask you to do that are amazingly holy. He's going to ask you to, to enter into people's lives and you'll see them delivered. You'll see them brought forth in ways that will cause you to back up and say, man, that's so holy. And he'll say, just let it be so for now. Because that's what I do with my people and through my people. I remember being in a service one time. that uh, This was in Linton, North Dakota. And this was when things started to really break loose there just before we moved to the reservation. I think you were already in Bismarck probably working with native people there. and Or maybe you, I don't know. Nevertheless, we were still friends then. <laughs> in a service one morning, something so holy began to happen in that place. And you've you got to understand, these were, for the most part, second-generation German people. What I mean by that is one generation back, they had come from the old country. Uh, the old country for them was uh, northern and eastern, yeah, northern and eastern Russia. They didn't, their English was very challenged, and their emotional response to anything was even more challenged, even more than me, Caleb, and you. <laughs> but it was unusual to see tears. It was unusual to see raised hands. But just something began to happen in that place. And hands began to go up. Tears began to run. And I, God spoke to me at that moment and said, I want to touch that person right there. And I knew the story here, and I'm not going to, yeah, I'll tell the story. It shouldn't affect anybody, but this young lady was coming out of being a Lutheran. She was, she was seeing something real. She was very serious about God, but she was very careful about anything that was emotional. So people began to come to the front, and she did too. I went over and prayed for her and started walking away. And as I walked away, I was about the second or third person away from her. God said, spoke to me, and he said, look at her, and said her name. I did look. And folks, this sounds like a lie, but it's not. She was standing like about here. And she was hit by the power of the Holy Spirit, and it launched her to where she crashed arm first, her arm stretched out arm first into the wall about that far away, and laid there for about 40 minutes. I think how holy that was. That was God. I had nothing to do with it. She became one of the most radical, spirit-filled young ladies that I've ever seen. God with us. <laughs> not, not just with me as I went down the line, but God with us. And whatever He wanted to do needed to be separate from a man. And you didn't hear it, but it's almost like there was a flesh-to-flesh -flesh impact and boom, into the wall. One of the men that had never responded began to come up and stand behind people as we prayed because people were falling like flies and he was afraid we'd have a lawsuit. God hit him. He started weeping. He didn't know what was going on. Folks, God's with us. I can't make these things happen. But man, I can get me, get me, myself, out of the way and let them happen when He wants to do it. Now, the first thing we might think is, why are we not seeing that now? It's not my business. Although we do see it in some places, but it's not my business. Why? 
My business is to be a representative of Him as a man who God's with me. There's a way I live. There's a way I don't live. There's things I do. There's things I don't do. Why? Because God's with us. God's with us. He, he knows who we are. He knows what we're doing. And we recognize immediately the presence. The difficulty is obeying Him in that presence. Wow. I've got to move here. I, the team was gracious. We were saying 35 to 40 minutes on all these, and they, they were gracious enough to tell me that I could take a little more time if I needed to. So we'll see. Just two quick stories. Nicodemus experiencing this thing, watching what Jesus was doing, and, and he wanted to know. But he was also aware of the cost. You see, he was a religious leader, this Nicodemus. And he knew that if he openly followed Jesus, it would cost him everything. So he comes to him by night. And Jesus wasn't easy on him to begin with. He, he's Nicodemus, you count yourself as a leader of Israel. And you don't know these things. Uh, what would that have said to the locals? That, that is, uh, you're, you're, you're one who God breathes on. And you don't know these things. But he wasn't so ornery when he began to talk to him. And I know the Bible, you, you read the Bible and it won't directly say this, but you'll get it if you really look at it. In Nicodemus, this change, this transition that's happening it's so profound, it's going to affect all you know. If you're going to follow this, Nick, you're going to need to allow me to change everything about the way you think. And that's going to be done through the Holy Spirit. You're going to be like a new baby. Nicodemus, the religious argument, what am I going to do, enter into my mother's womb and be born again? He said, no, you don't understand. He said, it's like the wind. It blows where it will. The Holy Spirit's like that. You've got to be open to the Holy Spirit taking you places you never thought you'd go, causing you to take risks you never thought you would take, opening yourself up, becoming vulnerable in areas you never thought you'd become vulnerable. Nick, if you're going to follow this, you've got to become like that. But the Holy Spirit will help you. In my translation, that's what Jesus was talking to Nicodemus about. That response of Jesus was so compassionate. And the next one is a Samaritan woman. And I know we hear so much about that. But first, realize Jesus took a real cultural risk when he stayed there alone and talked to the Samaritan woman alone. She didn't have the best moral reputation. And Jesus sent the guys on ahead and said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay here. And he stayed there and he talked to this woman. Now, she was immediately defensive because of what she believed. Said something like this. I, I won't quote it exactly, but basically she said, we don't worship like you. In other words, she was guarding her position. We don't worship like you. But his answer was not a direct confrontation. He said, well, if you're going to worship God, it's going to be in spirit and in truth. In other words... I'm not acknowledging you're right or they're right, but I'm telling you if you're going to worship God, it's not only going to be in spirit, but it's going to be within the boundaries of truth. And immediately he got behind her idea. He got behind her thinking. And even though he had risked his own reputation, He'd done something in that woman that she went away to tell others. She didn't go tell others that now this man said that we're not worshiping, right? She didn't go get them to try to pray. She said, come see a man that's told me everything about myself. And there's something changed in me. Come see this man. And folks, to me, that's a most powerful, powerful uh, challenge that comes into our lives as we follow God is people inevitably are going to respond to you before they even know they're responding to Christ. And you're going to need to be bold enough to speak into them what He's saying to the effect that they can leave. And a lot of times they're going to say, come check out this group of people or come check out this man because 
they're saying things nobody else has ever said, but something is shifting in me. We gotta let them, we gotta allow them to discover and not demand that they know so that they can discover Jesus through our relationships. And there's no way around that. Now, if I could point to 2,000 years of history and say, look, it has always worked like this, that would make it easy, but I can't do it. I can repoint to 2,000 years of history plus and tell you it has rarely worked at all, except for an individual life here and there. God wants to save the world. And He wants to do it through you and I. He wants to do, do that. Now, this church body was born in transition. It just was. We could go into a lot of stuff about that transition, but that's unnecessary. It, 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 it would mean nothing at this point. But from period to period, uh, from the very beginning, we began in change, and we began expecting that God would be God. The transition has always been constant. There's been, there's been change. There's been movement. We've had bigger numbers. We've had smaller numbers. Uh, and if you make it about the numbers, it's going to be a constant source of frustration. But you know what we've always had? The presence. We've always had the presence. And man, I want to take care of that. I want to take care of the manifest presence of God in this house. And you know what? To do that, sometimes we just got to let people go on their merry way. Because the presence gets uncomfortable to religious people. And it gets uncomfortable to evil people. We got to deal with that because we want the presence. We want to take care of that. The thing we spoke about a lot early on, and I still want to mention it often, is God challenged us when we first started talking about doing this to work with Him to build a Kirksville church. And that, that vision has expanded as we've gone to be a, a, a church that affects the surrounding area. But the base thing that God spoke was be a Kirksville church. And I can remember so much as we, we were in prayer about whether to even start or not that God said, I don't want you to build a world outreach center. A guy like me needs to hear that. He said, I, I don't want you to build something that, that might have aspirations to nationwide TV. But he said something else that I thought was very important. He said, I don't want you to glory in being that church filled with those people. And I want you to glory in being sons of daughters of God and having the presence of God among you and touch Kirksville outside the walls with that. So, I feel that if we just stay hooked up, that God is more and more challenging you and giving you the, the courage to be who you are outside these walls and to do what you do. Now, I'm going to tell on Caleb now, but, you know, Paul Washington is all about getting the white and the black cultures mixed, and, and even the worship, he, he's very open about, you know, he, he tells me that some of you white guys can use some of, some of the, the black worship principles, and, and I tell him, yes, we can, and, you know, Caleb and Paulie and Chelsea and I and somebody else were over at a service a year or so back, and Paul was... He was trying to get everybody there. We weren't the only white people there, but there wasn't a whole lot. He was trying to get everybody there to really get into worship. And he was, he was saying, come on, I want to see everybody move. And I looked back there, and Caleb had his foot stuck out in the aisle doing this. And I thought, yeah, me too. <laughs> but that's his expression. This is my expression, usually with no expression. But there's something going on inside us that we can take out there to God. And, and we want to be a people that move through our circle of influence with effectiveness and begin to do what God has called us to do. And not begin to, but continue to do what God called us to do. And realize that we have no aspirations to be the church building in Kirksville. We just want to minister our circle of influence and begin to touch who we're out there with every day. That's all we want to do. And eventually, this walking with God should permeate our lives. And again, talking with Dave Richard this past week, he, he and I were sitting talking about his past, the things that he's seen. I was talking about some of the same thing. And he made a statement that I thought was very powerful. 
He said it's usually about 20 years before you ever really know if a church is going to make it or not. <laughs> I thought, man, what an observation. And he, he was talking out of experience. He wasn't talking about the principles of church growth. But he said if they can continue to be relational and move among their influence, they'll always make it. But the minute they start being religious, it dwindles and dies. I just, let, I just leave that there. But if we can be a group of people that understand that we were born in change and we're going to be in constant change. Now some of you have noticed that we, we've been in a thing of constant change here for the last two or three years in that we're bringing the teams together and you're hearing more from the teams than you're hearing from me. That's okay. That's where we are. That's what we're doing. As you notice, my voice sometimes worries me whether it's even going to work in the next service or not. I would receive healing should it come. It hasn't yet. A lot of times when I'm out with other churches, it's in, it's in a leadership setting where we're talking across the table. Because when I preach like I preached this morning, it sometimes doesn't really work. I have to push it to make it work. And it's, you know, whatever is, is going on inside of my esophagus and all of that, from whatever, it's just my, my voice without a miracle is going away. But that's not why we're transitioning. We're transitioning because it's right. We're, we're seeing more people leading because it's right. We're seeing more people with influence because it's right. We have, we have uh, Caleb and Pauline. We have Mike and Melissa. We have those younger ones that are taking more and more place in this house. That's right and good. It should be because old things are passing away and all things are becoming new. Now, I'm telling you, my, one of my good friends uh, who is a pastor older than me we're talking about this just this week. And, and he said this. He said, we've got to recognize. We, we were talking about the death of my uncle. And he said, we've got to recognize that we're next on this list. And I said, yeah, we've got to recognize that. And it don't matter whether you want to face it or not. This is what's coming. It, we have this appointment. Like Wendell Nickerson says, we've got this shelf life. And he says, I'm checking my shelf life about every day. So yeah, those of you that know Wendell know that that's his humor. But... How does this feed into more of him and less of me? John the Baptist said, he must increase. I must decrease. And I would say, God with us in you must increase. Folks, it's the process of the church. It's the process of God's people. It's the process of God's kingdom. And to resist it is foolish. But to work with it and to flow with it is the way God wants it to be. Now, am I going anywhere? No. I, as far as I know, this is going to be the last stop. Notice I said, as far as I know. I'm not trying to tell, what, tell God what to do. But that's, that is the truth. As far as I know, this is the last stop for me. But the thing I am telling you is that these will come up and lead. And if they do it right, they'll be bringing these up to lead. And when these come up to lead, hopefully we can instill into them they don't need any men outside of godly men. And if they marry godly men, then we'll have another group of leaders who will produce sons and daughters who will become fathers and mothers who will produce sons and daughters. It's important. It's important that we have the conversation with our children. Not just, you should do this, you should do that, but this is why we live this way. It's because God's with us. The, the people around you that, that are suffering out there, that are going through all kinds of stuff, the only way we can help them is to show them another way. Commiserating with them won't help them. Feeling sorry for them won't help them. But showing them another way, should they respond to it, will help them. It'll get them out of their misery. And it'll help them to move on and to know. It doesn't always answer every question. But what it does is it gives me a way where I can feel I can feel secure that I have a king, that God is leading me, and I'm not Lord of my own life anymore. I don't know about you, but I desperately needed to get out of being Lord of my own life because I was really messing it up. And I continued to mess it up for a while while I was trying to learn what it meant for him to be in charge. But 
the crop that you're reaping today can be totally different five years from now if you'll start to follow his will and his ways and begin to do something. And that's what we want to be about as a church is that we live among men just testifying to the church at large or to the world at large that God is with us. There goes my voice again. God is with us. He's full of grace. He's full of truth. And we're going to live the truth while being empowered by His grace. And that's who we're going to be. If you would like to come along, we can help you with that. If you'd like to experience the peace that is experienced at my house, we can help you with that. That's really what it's about. Let me ask you this. We, talk, we have talked about that one of the ways to determine where you're supposed to, who you're supposed to work with next is because you enter in and you, you sense that that house is receiving the peace that is in you. Let me ask you this. Is your house a house of peace? If it's not, he'll help you fix it. He'll help you fix it. Well, I can't get my wife to, to pray. Well, that's not what it's about. It's about you living it, you releasing the peace that is in you and working with it until he or she becomes a person who relates to God and discovers God. And God is the one that's in charge of that, really. I can't make a person discover God. I just can't do it. I've tried. But I can lead them and I can guide them while the Holy Spirit is doing His work. And He'll do it through Scripture. He'll do it through your presence. He'll do it through your praying. But He'll do it. Father, thank You so much for the privilege of ministering to this people. God, I thank You for them being kind and attentive as I've gone over my time. But I praise You, Lord, for the Word that You've put in this house. God, most of all, though, I praise You for Your presence and Your ongoing nurturing of Your people. God, I join with Jackie today in, in asking for complete healing for those of this house that are sick. God, there's, there's many of them, and you're the healer. And we ask you to reach in the household and heal. In Jesus' name, amen. God.